It's Thursday, January the 21st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Joe Biden enters the Oval Office and Donald Trump leaves. First, the world in brief. In his inaugural address, President Joe Biden declared that democracy has prevailed. Speaking immediately after being sworn in as the 46th President of America, Mr. Biden acknowledged the suffering wrought by the pandemic and by deep political divisions. He called for unity, beseeching Americans to end this uncivil war that pits red against blue and for the nation to confront white supremacy. Hours later, Kamala Harris, who as Vice President presides over the Senate, swore in three new Democratic senators, giving her party a razor-thin majority in the upper chamber. Mr Biden signed 15 executive orders and two additional agency directives which are not legally binding. His administration will rejoin the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and the World Health Organization, stop construction on the border wall in Mexico, and end the travel ban on citizens from several Muslim-majority countries, all stark reversals of Donald Trump's policies. Meanwhile, the Senate confirmed Avril Haines, Mr Biden's pick for Director of National Intelligence. In his final hours in office, Mr Trump overturned his own executive order banning former White House employees from lobbying the government, part of his initial election promise to drain the swamp. Mr Biden is expected to strengthen White House ethics standards. Before departing for Florida, Mr Trump wished the incoming administration luck and pledged to return in some form. China slapped sanctions on 28 Americans, including Trump administration officials such as Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State who on Tuesday declared China's treatment of its Uyghur minority a genocide. China forbade them from entering or doing business in the country. Separately, Twitter said it locked the account of China's American embassy in response to a post that dehumanized Uyghurs. The leaders of India's biggest farmers' unions said they would consider ending more than two months of protests after the government offered to suspend the implementation of controversial reforms for up to 18 months. Farmers fear that the measures which are meant to strip away stifling rules and increase competition would make prices lower and more volatile. Israel extended its lockdown until January 31st. The country's coronavirus tsar warned that a single dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was less effective than had been hoped in cutting infections. Meanwhile, the companies that make the drug released results suggesting it provides protection against the new variant of COVID-19 identified in Britain. Its efficacy against another variant from South Africa remains unproven. And Morgan Stanley, a Wall Street investment bank, reported net profits of $3.4 billion in the fourth quarter of 2020, $1.1 billion more than in the same period a year earlier. Trading revenue at $4.2 billion was up by around $1 billion compared with a year ago. The results round off a bumper earnings season for American banks, many of which benefited from stock markets that soared despite the pandemic. And now, here's today's agenda. After chaos, hope. Joe Biden is president. Many presidents assume office amid a crisis. Joe Biden faces many. The pandemic has killed 400,000 Americans. It has wrought economic devastation. 
Racial wounds left to fester have reopened, and deep partisan rancor has damaged faith in democracy. Mr. Biden seems well suited to the daunting task. He is not a culture warrior, but a conciliatory elder statesman. He began with a slew of executive orders designed to undo some Trump-era damage. More permanent change needs legislation. With Democrats controlling Congress only narrowly, the scope of this will disappoint many on the left, but Mr. Biden will pursue a New Deal-type agenda replete with populist economic ideas. Pushing it through will require a tight rein on his party, and either great skill at winning over Republicans, or a mastery of reconciliation, a procedural mechanism that bypasses the filibuster. Given America's divisions, he ought to practice a more general type of reconciliation too. Facing a Firefight, NYS v. the NRA Today, the National Rifle Association, America's largest pro-gun lobbying group, will ask a Manhattan court to protect it from a legal volley fired by New York State's Attorney General Letitia James. Last year, Ms. James, who can sue the NRA because it is a non-profit organization registered in her state, accused the group of financial fraud and misconduct, alleging that its top executives used donors' funds for personal travel by private jet, lavish shopping trips and gifts. The NRA has asked for the suit to be dismissed or relocated, arguing that it is politically motivated. On January 15th, it announced it was filing for bankruptcy and reincorporating in Texas, an attempt to stymie Ms. James's case. Yet it is not clear that will offer it much legal protection, nor that the NRA will find Texan courts more hospitable. Ms. James is expected to fight it every step of the way. Jab and move, Europe's vaccine rollout. EU leaders will gather digitally today to discuss the slow pace of COVID-19 inoculation. The bloc's members lag behind most rich countries, with only 1.4% of EU citizens having received a dose so far. Sebastian Kurz, the Austrian Chancellor, is leading calls for the European Medicines Agency, the EU's drugs regulator, to hurry up and approve the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. With supplies of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine set to slow over the coming weeks, making the British vaccine available would help EU governments reach their target of vaccinating 70% of adults by summer's end. Also on the agenda is the idea of a common vaccine certificate to allow countries to ease border restrictions. Greece and other countries that depend heavily on tourism are desperate to reopen their borders in time for the summer. France, however, is wary of any scheme that is seen to compel people to take a vaccine. Abandoned Chip – Intel's Bad Fortunes Intel, the world's biggest chip maker by revenue, reports its results later today. The chip industry has boomed during the coronavirus pandemic as work moves online and locked down consumers by electronic gadgets. But Intel's shares have lagged behind. Some of the American firm's big customers are becoming competitors, designing their own chips in-house. It has also been losing market share to AMD, a smaller rival. Intel's factories, for decades the world's most sophisticated, have fallen behind those of Asian companies such as TSMC and Samsung. Daniel Loeb, an activist investor, is keen for Intel to take the historic step of spinning off its manufacturing arm altogether. 
On January 13th, Intel announced that Bob Swan, its current boss, will be replaced by Pat Gelsinger, a long-serving company veteran presently running VMware, a cloud computing company. Mr Gelsinger starts his job in February. He will have a lot on his plate. Out of steam, Turkey's Lira Rally In less than three months as the head of Turkey's central bank, Naji Agbal has already presided over two badly overdue interest rate increases totaling 6.75 percentage points. That streak may come to an end later today when the bank's Monetary Policy Committee convenes to set rates. The currency lost nearly a third of its dollar value in the first 10 months of last year before Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, forced out the previous economy minister and the central bank's chairman, made some noises about central bank independence and allowed Mr Agbal to raise rates. That helped the lira claw back some of its losses, but despite ballooning inflation at 14.6%, Mr Erdogan recently resumed his periodic calls for looser monetary policy, spooking foreign investors and sparking a brief lira sell-off. Most analysts now expect the bank to keep interest rates steady. The lira's recent rally may be at stake. Finally, here's the quote of the day from George Moore, who died on this day in 1933. The lot of critics is to be remembered by what they failed to understand. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.